The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, today we are continuing in our series, It Takes a Party, and uh, really my hope for all of us in this series has been, uh, has been twofold, really. Um, what I wanted us to do as a congregation, as a group of people, is to take a fresh look, kind of take a new look, um, at, at just the incredible length that Jesus was actually willing to go to, to reach people, to engage people, um, to include people, and to communicate to people how, how deeply valuable we are in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. And then also um, for us to see that about Jesus and for us to actually take those same truths and apply those truths back to our lives today um, so that we really could bring Jesus into each one of our relationships, that we would actually be intentional uh, about doing that. Now, last week, we left off with this uh, whole idea talking about invitations. And uh, just so you know, this past week, I was invited to and I attended two different parties put on by two totally different groups of people, um, not connected to each other whatsoever, and yet at both of these parties, the hostess literally met me at the door as soon as I opened the door. She, sh- she stood there and she told me exactly what the agenda was going to be for the party from the beginning until the end. She made sure that I knew exactly what was going to take place all throughout that evening. So in case you're wondering, no, I don't actually sleep with my shoes on, but I understand why you might think that I would. Um, but last week we talked about this idea of invitations and we said that when Jesus invited his first followers to follow him, they had no idea. They had no idea whatsoever what Jesus meant when he said, I'm, you, I want you to follow me, and when you follow me, I'm going to make you into something that naturally you are not. Um, but, but they followed him anyway. And even though Jesus' followers had no idea, they didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. Um, they, they followed Jesus, and they, they followed Jesus even though they didn't always understand what it was that Jesus was doing. They followed Jesus, and, they under, and they, even though they didn't understand necessarily where it was that Jesus was going. And we said that just like you and just like me, just like them, we've all been invited into the same party that these first followers of Jesus were invited into. And so that means that, that Jesus' goal for us, for you and for me, is actually the same goal that it was uh, for these first followers. That even though we began following Jesus because, because the Holy Spirit gave to us the gift of faith, that, that we individually, that you individually would know that Jesus actually died on the cross for your sin, and we learned that Jesus' goal for, for you, Jesus' goal for me, it doesn't end with just me. That, that Jesus' goal for us is that we would become, just like these first followers would become, that we would actually become other people. We would become people who invite others into the party. That we would become people who would let other people know that Jesus' love is for them, that God's grace is for them, that God's forgiveness is for them. That, that although it started by Jesus telling me something about who he is and what it is he did for me, Jesus' goal for us, it doesn't end with just us. That we would actually become disciples who make disciples. You and I. That you would be and that I would be a disciple who makes disciples. And we recognize that even though, again, just like us, so many times Jesus' first followers, they made mistakes. So many times Jesus' first followers, they had no idea, just like we have no idea, most of the time, where it is that God is leading us. But they followed Jesus anyway. And eventually they became exactly what Jesus said they would become. They became fishers of men. Why? Because in what is perhaps the most famous verse in the entire Bible, in John 3.16, which you've all heard so many times, 
we learn and we discover that when God actually looked at this world, when he saw how broken this world was, when he saw how broken we were as individuals, instead of deciding to just wipe it all out and start over, God decided to actually send his son Jesus to walk around in this world and to get to know the partiers, right? And that's why we actually see Jesus showing up at, teaching about, and talking about parties in the first place. And so Jesus loves the partiers, right? All the little partiers in the world. And Jesus loves me, and Jesus loves you. And yes, God loves you just the way that we are, that Jesus tells us. In fact, Jesus tells us that the best way, the best way for you, the best way for me to actually think about God is to think about him like a heavenly father. And just like those of us who are fathers here on earth, just like we love our kids exactly the way that they are, and just like we love our kids for exactly who they are, Jesus tells us the very same thing, that our Heavenly Father loves us exactly the way that we are. But he also loves us far too much to just leave us that way. And yet at the very same time, this whole idea of following Jesus, this thing that you've been invited into, this thing that I've been invited into, it's not about trying to earn your way to stay at the party. It's not about trying to do something to be good enough to to earn a place or to keep a seat at the party. It's not about having to do something to somehow try to appease the the, the sense of guilt, perhaps, that you carry with you or that you have in your life. I mean, after all, where's the fun in that? Who Who wants to do that? And so the truth is, if we're not careful, right, as followers of Jesus, we can just so very easily reduce this whole idea of following Jesus down to nothing more than just be good, right, be polite, and stay out of trouble. In fact, if you're, if you're here this morning and you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you would say, okay, that's not who I am, um, then the truth is this might, be, this might be the reason why. Because if your whole idea of following Jesus, if your whole picture of Christianity is constantly living in, with this sense of guilt or this, this constant sense of I'm not good enough or, or I have to do something to, to, to earn my keep or to make myself better, then I understand why that whole idea and that whole picture would drive you crazy because it drives me crazy. And see, the truth is, that's a very poor representation. In fact, it's a a complete misrepresentation of what following Jesus is really all about. And so my hope this morning is that for all of us who are here today who are followers of Jesus, that that we would have a, a really clear picture, that we would get actually a much bigger and a much better, a much broader picture of of what it is to really follow Jesus. And then for those of us who are here today who maybe have questions or are a little bit skeptical of all this, um, that maybe perhaps you would understand for the first time um, what following Jesus is really all about. Open your Bibles, take them, up, take them out and open them up to, uh, to Philippians chapter 1, uh, which is on page 1825 in the Bibles in the seat back in front of you. Now Philippians, what we're going to read, um, this, what we refer to as Philippians, is actually part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote he wrote it to the very first church. This is the first church that the Apostle Paul started. Um, he started this church, and about 10 years after this church was up and running, um, the Apostle Paul finds himself in prison. And the church in Philippi was the first church in Greece, which consequently made it also the first church in Europe. And, and while the Apostle Paul is in prison, he writes this letter back to these people at the church of Philippi who he hasn't seen for 10 years. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul, he details for us a, a much bigger, a much better, and, and a vastly superior um, way of actually following Jesus than perhaps 
that perhaps is different, um, that maybe what it is that you personally are experiencing right now or perhaps is different um, than what you thought you understood or what you knew about Christianity in the first place. And again, I should mention this as well. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, um, he was in prison, and that prison was in Rome, and Nero was the emperor of Rome during this time. So if you're a Christian, you're in prison, and you're in Rome, and Nero is the emperor, then, then things are not going to go well for you. And, and, right, and ultimately, things did not go well for the Apostle Paul, um, which in fact, I think, actually makes what we're going to read today even more significant for all of us. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now again, he hasn't seen these people for 10 years, but what he's saying to them is every time I think about you, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, as I read this this past week, as I thought about this message this morning, as I thought about having the opportunity to talk to you all this morning, um, the the truth is, I, just like the Apostle Paul was, I am so grateful, because I thought about so many of you, and I am so grateful for so many of you who have partnered together in this place to bring the good news of the gospel into the lives of people, both inside the walls of this building, but then outside as well. I mean, just last week, somebody stopped me after church, after our church service, a woman stopped me, and she's only been coming to faith for a couple of months, and she is brand new to this whole idea of faith in Jesus. That's not her story. It's not her family's story. She is brand new to all this, and she looked at me, and she says to me, "Um, Pastor Joe, I want to invite somebody else to the party because I want them to experience what it is that I've experienced at faith. And that made me so excited um, to hear that. And, and if you're new to this church, if you're new to this place, if you're one of the many people who's just started attending over the last couple of months or years, the reason why you love faith, the reason why you love your small group, the reason why you love your Bible study class you're a part of, the reason why you love the activities that go on in this place is because, because faith is a church that, that is led by, and you are surrounded by people who have not dumbed Christianity down to just be good, stay out of trouble, and be polite to other people. We are a group of men and women who understand the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus, and we know that the only kind of news that starts a party is good news. And because we have experienced that kind of life-changing, transformational power in our lives, we want everybody to experience that in their lives as well. And so I am so extraordinarily grateful for every single one of you who have partnered together to bring Jesus into the lives of people. Then the Apostle Paul, he says this in verse 6. He says, being confident of this. In other words, he says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I'm going to say to you next is absolutely, positively going to happen. He says, being confident of this, That he, that's God, he who began a good work in you, right? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying is that that you started following Jesus because something happened in you. God began in you, Paul is saying. Now this is where, again, where, where we connected to what it is we talked about last week. Because last week we said that from our perspective, each one of us, we started following Jesus because we needed Jesus to fix something, heal something, or change something, right? And so we say to Jesus, fix it. But Jesus says, no, follow me. And we say, fix it. And Jesus says, no, follow. And we say, fix it. And he says, follow. See, fix it is all about now. 
but follow me. Follow me is a process. And the Apostle Paul is telling us what God wants to do in you, what he is confident, what I am confident that that God is doing in every single one of you is that God is growing you and God is changing you and God has begun something within you. And see, that growth, that takes time. Because the end game for a follower of Jesus is maturity, and you cannot rush maturity, right? I mean, you can cram for an exam at school, you can cram for a presentation at work, you can cram to get a project done, but you cannot cram for maturity. And what Paul's explaining here, what he's talking about is what is understood as the the principle of the harvest, which means that a seed is planted someplace, and and then you have no choice, you have to wait for that seed to grow. And what Paul is saying, what what he is saying to all of us is that I am absolutely confident that God is growing in you the seed that God has actually planted in you, in your heart. And that growth, it takes time. And again, where does that growth happen? He tells us that he who began a good work where? Right? In you. See, following Jesus, Paul would say, is all about God actually doing something in you to eventually bring something out of you. Because again, following Jesus is not about just simply behavior modification, right? Following Jesus is not about just, you know, staying out of trouble or trying to be good all the time. The essence, the hallmark of a follower of Jesus is that God is actually renewing our hearts and that God is renewing our minds, that God is renewing our hearts and our minds so that there is something different that eventually comes out of us. But again, that's not just behavior modification. That's not just stopping a bunch of things or starting a bunch of different things. It's allowing God to work inside of you in such a way where God actually completes what it is that he's begun in you. And over time, Paul says, you will see that fruit. Over time, you will see the result of that change on the outside. What we need to learn how to do, Paul would tell us, is that we need to learn how to actually participate. We need to learn how to simply uh, partner with what it is that our Heavenly Father has begun to do inside of, inside of you, inside of me, because that growth is going to take time and it's going to happen on the inside. And then he says this, he, that's God, who began a good work in you, he will, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, which means that what it is that God is doing in you, what he's doing in me, that is a lifelong process. That as long as we're alive, as long as you and I, as long as we continue to follow Jesus, that God is going to continue to do in you something inside of you that ultimately is going to end up being visible on the outside of you. And again, you've heard me say this before, right? God is not trying to get something from you. He's not trying to keep something from you. Instead, what Jesus wants is something for you because God is doing something inside of you. Now, you've probably seen this in other people, right? You've noticed this in other people. And the truth is, this is hard to describe. This isn't easy, as I thought about these words this past week. This is not easy to put into words because this is not about behavior, Behavior is easy to talk about. That's easy to describe. But this isn't that. This, instead, this is a depth, right? This is a maturity. This is a, a sense of identity. This is the kind of thing that when you actually see it in somebody else, it makes that person stand out. But they don't stand out because what you see on the outside, because this isn't about what you see on the outside, but it results in things 
which you see on the outside that makes that individual stand out. That is what the Apostle Paul says that God is actually working to do inside of every single one of you. And see, the way that we participate in that, the way that we, we partner with our Heavenly Father is simply by saying to God, okay, God, listen, I don't understand everything it is that, that you're doing in me, but God, I know that you've begun something, and I want you to complete what it is that you've begun. So please don't let the old me get in the way of the new me that you're actually making. Because, see, sometimes the hard part about growth is sometimes growth feels like this. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm getting any better, but I can tell that I'm not where I once was. And, and, and this, the reason this kind of person stands out, the reason why this, person, this kind of person is so distinctive when you meet them, is because ultimately our sense of identity, it comes from our creator. And when you separate creature from creator... There is an insecurity that is created in that individual which is almost insurmountable. But as a follower of Jesus, there's a reestablishing of connection. There's a reestablishing of relationship between creature and creator. And that connection, it results in a sense of identity that goes way beyond family of origin. It goes way beyond birth order. It goes way beyond even the, the, the pain and the hurt and the scars that each one of us have in our own past. It is a powerful powerful thing when that reconnection takes place and you have seen that you've you've bumped into that in other people and see that's just an image Paul would say that's a slice of what it is that God is actually doing what he's working to complete inside of you as a follower of of Jesus because again only Jesus right only Jesus can take a mess and turn it into a message only Jesus can take a test and turn it into a testimony. Only Jesus can take the scars of our past and make them a part of his story of redemption in your life. And that goes way beyond. Way beyond just be good, be polite, and stay out of trouble. And then the Apostle Paul, over in verse 9, he actually says this. He says, and this... And this is my prayer for you. So what he's saying is, is, I am confident that God has begun something in you. I'm confident God will carry out what he's begun in you till completion. And because of that, Paul says, because I know those things are true, this is how I'm going to pray for you. Now, everybody look up here for just, just a minute. Everybody, eyes up front. Regardless of where you're at spiritually this morning, regardless of where you're at in your faith relationship this morning, you pray something for you. We all do. I want you to think about, for just a minute, before we look and see what the Apostle Paul actually prays for you, what, what he says he's praying for you for, I want you to think about, what do you pray for you? When you pray for yourself, what is it that you pray for yourself? Because, see, the Apostle Paul's prayer for you, his prayer for you is huge. His prayer for you is so much bigger than many times what it is that we actually pray for ourselves. And his prayer for us, it tips us off to help us understand what it is that God is really doing inside of us. In fact, if you're here this morning and you would say, okay, you know, I have no clue what it is that God's doing inside of me. I have no idea what it is that God is trying to complete within me. God, what does that even look like? What the Apostle Paul prays for you what he says his prayer for you is that tips us off to understand what it is that God is working to complete in every single one of your hearts today as you continue to follow Jesus 
And he says this in verse 9. He says, and this is my prayer for you. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, isn't that what you pray for you? I mean, isn't that pretty much it? Doesn't that encapsulate your prayer for you? How strange is that? And when you look at those words, what do those words even mean? Right? I mean, what, what is that even trying to say to you? Let's look at that piece by piece and break it down. What does he say in the beginning? And this, he says, is my prayer. That your love. When was the last time that you actually prayed for your love? See, we don't even think to pray that way, do we? Now, we pray for the people that we want to love us all the time, right? You pray for your husband. You pray for your wife. You pray for your kids or your friends. You pray that they would actually love you better all the time. I pray that they would actually love me better all the time. But when was the last time you actually prayed for your love? See, that would be never, right? And the Apostle Paul says, okay, this this whole idea is at the center of what it is that God is trying to do, what it is that God actually wants to complete inside of you. He says, and this is my prayer for you, that your love, it may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, he's saying, I want you to actually learn how to love. Paul says, I'm praying that, that your love for each other, that's what this is talking about, not your love for God, but that your love for each other, he says, I'm praying that you would actually become a better, better lover of people, that your love would grow bigger and broader. Paul says, that is my prayer for you, that you actually learn how to love other people around you, not that you would become a better rule keeper, not that you would become a better behavior, but that you would actually become a better lover of people. He continues, so that you may be able to discern, he says, or understand what is best. Not what I can get by with, not what I can get away with. And that you may be pure, as in nothing mixed in, he means, and blameless until the day of Christ. See, Paul is actually saying to all of us, I want you to be blameless in the way that you treat other people. He says, I, I want you to, to learn and discern how it is that you can actually be better at loving other people, Paul says. Now, when I read this this past week, and I think to myself, okay, when was the last time I actually prayed for that in my life? When was the last time you actually prayed for something like that in, in your life? Right? For most of us, the answer to that's never, isn't it? And yet, Paul says... This is exactly, this is exactly what your Heavenly Father is working to complete inside of you. He's not trying to make you into a better behavior. He's trying to make you into a better lover of people. And, and that's going to be expressed in a whole bunch of different ways. And, and this is not about, you know, all of us becoming touchy-feely and mushy and sappy and all of that stuff. That's not what he's talking about here. Instead, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that as a follower of Jesus, he wants us to understand that the essence of maturity as of a Jesus follower, it's not our invisible love for an invisible God. The mark of maturity for a follower of Jesus, Paul would say, is that when a person can actually learn how to love another person who is difficult to love. And so for me, the truth of these words is this is something that I wanted to understand better in my life. This is something I wanted to get better at in my life. And so for me, um, years ago actually, I, I kind of constructed a little prayer. And, and this is a prayer that I say to myself anytime I'm going to have to go into a difficult conversation with somebody, anytime I'm going to have a difficult meeting with another person. Um, and, and it's not elegant. 
Um, it's not fancy, right? Because if you know me, that's not me. That's not, that's not who God made me. And so for me, this prayer just simply sounds like this. Jesus, help me to see things the way you see things. Jesus, help me to see this person the way you see this person. Jesus, help me to see this situation the way you see this situation. And then help me to do, give me the courage. Give me the courage, Jesus, to do what you would have me do. Jesus, help me see this person and give me the courage to respond to them the way that you would respond to them. Jesus, I want to do something. I want you to do something in my heart. That, that when I see other people, I would actually see them the way that you see them. And Jesus, I actually want to behave and I want to respond to them in the same kind of way that you would because I see them the way that you do. See, following Jesus, we've said this before, following Jesus is not primarily about doing what's right, is it? Because see, at the end of the day, doing what's right is still about you. It's still about me. Me doing what's right so that God will notice me and God will bless me and God will love me and God will pay attention to me, that's still all about me. And see, Jesus, he raised the bar. Because Jesus, he said this, a new command, a brand new command I give to you. I want you to love one another. How? I want you to actually love one another the way I have loved you. So you also are to love each other. See, Jesus says, if you want to gauge where it is that you're at in your relationship with God, if you want to somehow measure the growth in your relationship with God, if you want to understand spiritually where you're moving on this path to maturity, this process of maturity, Jesus says the way that you gauge that it's not by measuring the length of your prayers. It's not by counting up the number of verses that you've memorized. It's not even by checking off how frequently you come to church on Sunday morning. He says the way that you measure that is actually how you treat other people. And isn't that what we've seen Jesus do throughout the course of the series? Isn't that why Jesus made wine for the one? Isn't that why the Father left the 99 to go running after the one? Isn't that why Jesus finds the one who's been abandoned? He finds the one who's been isolated, the one who's been rejected by everybody else, and he goes and he brings her living water. Because see, ultimately, ultimately following Jesus is about God moving you, it's about God moving me beyond just me. So who's God moving you to? Who is God moving you to? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, he tells us this. He says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every parent, every friend, every coworker, every student, every child, every grandparent, every neighbor that's hard to love, every family that is broken. Every student that struggles with depression. Every child that wonders whether or not their parents love them or not. Every single person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who is your one in everyone? Who is it that God is calling you to today? 
The Apostle Paul says, I am absolutely confident that what God has begun in you, he will carry on to completion. And he says, wherever you're at in your faith, whether you've just started following Jesus recently or you've been following Jesus for a long, long, long time, he who began a good work in you, he who began this good work in you, he will carry it on to completion. So here's my challenge for you this morning, and then we're going to wrap up. Would you be willing... Would you be willing? You pray something for you already. I know you do. I do. You do all the time. We all pray something for ourselves already. Would you be willing to simply add what it is that we're talking about today to what it is that you already pray for you? See, the truth is this. As your pastor, what I want most for every single one of you is for God to carry on to completion what it is that he's begun in you. What I want for for all of us is that we learn how to actually participate with God and what it is that he is doing in you as he carries you on to completion. And so would you be willing to just incorporate this simple prayer? Heavenly Father, please continue. Please continue the work that you have begun in me. Because see, ultimately prayer is not about trying to get God to do something for me. Right? Ultimately prayer is about helping me to see what it is that God is doing and what it is that God has already done both in and around me. And following Jesus, following Jesus is not primarily about doing what's right. It's about doing what's right for other people. And see, dads, this morning... Isn't that what you do as a dad? Dads, isn't that what makes a dad a great dad? Isn't that what you try to do in the lives of your kids? Isn't that what we try to do as fathers in the lives of our family every single day? Isn't it true the thing that actually makes a dad a great dad is when dad puts himself on the back burner for you? See, the truth is, if you want to impact the life of somebody else, you want to find an amazing way to actually invite somebody else and bring somebody else into the party, you figure out how you can actually help them reach their dreams. Now, you don't have to be a father to do that. You don't have to be a dad to do that. But that is, that is exactly what great dads do. They do it for their kids, they do it for their families, and they do it for the people that God has placed into their lives. Why? Because that is exactly, that is exactly what our Heavenly Father did for every single one of us. He did what was best for us at the expense of himself. Dads, you are never more like Jesus. Men, you are never more like Jesus than when you put you on the back burner when you sacrifice you for the sake of somebody else. Men, you are never more like your heavenly father than when you sacrifice yourself for somebody else's future. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, our prayer as your people in this place is that you would complete 
you would complete what it is that you are doing in our hearts. That you would actually help us to love the people that mean so much to you, all the people that mean so much to you in this world, the people that we know, the people that we don't know, the people that you actually sent your son Jesus into this world to die for. Father, help us to actually love people better in your name, not because of who we are, but precisely because of who you are and because of what it is that you have done for every single one of us. Father, our prayer this morning, our prayer for this morning is that um, you would help us to love that neighbor who is frustrating. You would help us to love um, that, that child that maybe we constantly fight with. Father, you would help us to love um, that coworker who is just so angry and so hurtful and so mean and bitter all the time. Father, help us to love those people around us who are difficult to love. Grow our love, Jesus, inside of us, that we would love other people in your name. And give us the eyes to see beyond just me. Give us the eyes to see the one in everyone. And Father, for those of us who are here this morning who are dads, for those of us who maybe are spiritual dads in the life of somebody else, Father, help us to see those people that you have entrusted to our care and give us the courage to protect and to love and to cherish them in your name. Jesus, my prayer for every single one of us here is that we, are, that we would always remember that we are never more like you than when we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of somebody else. And Jesus, I also ask that you hear us as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel is that your Savior sacrificed himself, that you would have a hope and that you would have a future. And because of his resurrection, the promise of the forgiveness of your sin is real. And so I remind you and I tell you the good news this morning that your sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.